Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. If I speak for your followers and I speak for your ex-followers and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything. On earth that says, don't listen to your mum and dad, don't talk to your mum and dad, that bad, wrong. I remember sitting there wishing I could just scream out loud and beg for help. But I knew if I did that, I would never see Mark again. This is the thing about real life. You can't experience the great things without the bad things. I felt like it would probably do better off if we didn't exist. And... um, you know, Pat came up with a plan on, on how to end it. He talks about seven-year-old child, mm-hmm. even, if, even if he's referring to actually an adult. So let's say we change that to an adult. You know, the woman shudders because the man kisses her even passionately. The fact is that she shudders. You do a big apology to me and give me my kids back. I'm still shocked by the evil. I, 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 yes, even to this day, when I see a video, of a former friend or family member, I'm like, this is pure evil at work. Hello, welcome to another Come and Get Some Extra Scientology edition today with Marcus Sawyer. And I know it's been a really good while uh, since we've done one of these Scientology podcasts to come get some extra. Uh, During my time off, I've been working and struggling and researching ways to better the audio quality of this podcast. Never more clear to me than listening back to that opening just now, uh, how challenging that's been. Uh, But I believe I've got it figured out today with Marcus might be one of the clearest sounding interviews I've put out. So hopefully uh, I've got the quality up where it needs to be uh, that both the guest and the listener you all deserve. Uh, So there's that, but a lot's happened since I last talked to you guys, so let's get into it. First of all, let's go ahead and congratulate Mike Rinder, Leah Remedy, the whole A&E crew for uh, the inevitable, for making uh, season three a reality. Scientology in the aftermath is coming back. So congratulations on that. Also, a few folks got together and created what's called the Aftermath Foundation. Uh, this can be found on the aftermathfoundation.org. Uh, the link is in the description of this podcast. It's founded by Luis Garcia, Aaron Smith Levin, Claire Headley, Christy Colburn, Mike Rinder, Mark Headley, and Ray Jeffrey all came together to create this foundation as a way to help people who are on the fence, people with nowhere to turn, looking for a way out, to have some place to turn. For more details on what exactly is expected and exactly the function of the Aftermath Foundation, there is a uh, a video on YouTube on uh, Chris, sorry, Aaron Smith Levin's YouTube channel, Growing Up in Scientology. 
explaining the Aftermath Foundation in pretty good detail. So check that out. I may be adding that link a little bit later here to this podcast. So uh, there's that, and that's a great thing. And it's got a, a bunch of links up here. One, you can request help if you're one of those folks looking for a way out. You can donate to the foundation 100%, I believe, going right into that fund. And uh, you can volunteer, and you can contact them if you have any other questions on the contact us link. So a little, little map into the website there. What else happened? Yeah, I went to the uh, downtown Clearwater, also an event to promote the Aftermath Foundation and the downtown Clearwater district uh, business district, trying to grow it and make it better. Um, so I actually have a video up on my YouTube channel. It's the Come Get Some Extra YouTube channel. It's a 360 video. You can see 360. Uh, clips of the event and uh, host Clay Irwin's Lucky Anchor Bar and Grill there, so you can see, well, Lucky Anchor Irish Pub, sorry, uh, over there, so you can see what that was like, uh, so you get a little piece of that, and uh, so on that YouTube channel, I do have the Winter Remedy interview, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be transferring all the old interviews over because of the audio quality, but I'm just going to go from here and just start putting the real ones over. Uh, the event was amazing, by the way, from top to bottom, from Mike Render to Tara Riley and all points in between. Uh, just a wonderful bunch of people, including residents, the Never Ends who came to support. It was just a great event overall, and I recommend going to the next one if you have a chance. Uh, great to see everybody there. The Scientology TV network has begun, so Comedy Central is in for a little bit of competition. I watched a little bit of this, and uh, it speaks for itself. I know there will be, and, and Marcus talks about this, I think, in part two on Friday, uh, about how he believes that there will still be people who fall for Scientology through the networks. It's not a great thing still. Um, but, wow, what a – I'd say it's a disaster, but uh, we'll, time will tell and we'll see. The other thing, uh, the main thing I want to talk about before we get into the interview is uh, our Twitter friends, quote unquote friends, uh, John Alex Wood and Gemma Harris. Uh, they've been at it again. Um, I'm going to say this. Uh, I found value in their existence just in the way that uh, anyone who's known me for any length of time or known of the show knows that it was John Alex Wood and Gemma Harris's tweets that showed me exactly who they are and what Scientology is so that I could see that this wasn't exaggeration. Um, to, to see that was uh, an eye-opener that allowed me uh, to feel comfortable doing this podcast. There is value there. However, um, it's important to remember who these guys are. They seem like bumbling idiots, and they kind of are, and they're ridiculous and uh, don't have much to offer in any way, shape, or form productive. Um, but remember, they are also, at the very least, John Alex Wood is. And this isn't a thing where Leah says it or Mike says it or uh, Chris Shelton says it or I say it. It's our best guess. John Alex Wood's been known to be also for decades. Uh, he was very involved in the counter special to Scientology and me to try to make uh, John Sweeney uh, look like a fool, which kind of backfired on Scientology. So they exist to spread hate, discontent, confusion, distraction, 
they they want to hurt people because they they feel that people are trying to hurt them. Um, and, and in a way, you, you know, there's some people I think out there who think they're going to reach Gemma Harris and save her or turn John Huxley around. At, at this point, I feel like they know enough to know. And they have to be complicit in some way and know what they're doing. That's my opinion. Uh, any interaction, I don't care if you're making them look bad. Any interaction, you're giving them stats. You're, you're making, you're helping them. Uh, there's nobody who's been hurt by Scientology or hurt by them in the smear campaigns going, wow, I'm so glad you're on my side because you really hurt Gemma on a Zidu comment. <laughs> so I, I don't know why you would interact with them other than to help them, you know, and I'm not going to judge anyone and say, uh, you know, I don't think anyone's going to listen to me and just go, okay, well, Chris says it and Shelton says it and Ortega says it, so we're just going to leave them alone. But you're really only helping them. They're not reaching anybody, but you're bringing more attention to them, more stats to them. Why would you want to help them? And as a result of that, there was a faceless, nameless Twitter account uh, the, a bunch of people in the uh, Twitter community were attached to. She was supportive of the X community and she was fighting the fight. But she was having fun with her account and not everything she was saying was truthful. And uh, out of all the hundreds and thousands of people who uh, go at Gemma Harris daily, weekly, monthly, they decided to take her and make an example out of her. She, she didn't have her real name or information out there, but they tracked her down, and they made a hate page on faceless, nameless Twitter person to expose them, and in the process, expose their entire family as, as people to be associated with as enemies and bigots, and it's really disgusting because, you know, forget the lies, and, and I don't say that lightly because I never will support the idea of lying to get the best of someone who's already bad anyway, but I'm not going to apologize to them either. Um, and I'm not going to apologize for it. So it was wrong and bad to tell stories and make up stories. And I don't know how much was true or not, but I know there was some liberties taken uh, with honesty there. And I can't condone that. But faceless, nameless lady on Twitter doesn't have a lot of responsibility in this. I mean, there's moral ethical, whatever, you know, you can hold it against this person personally if you wish, that's your determination, but that's your prerogative, but these two people are supposed to represent the most ethical religion on earth, and they attack faceless, nameless person, and it makes me laugh, kind of, uh, that all these years, longer than I've been around with social media or doing this podcast, there are people today who are going around and around with Gemma. They've been going around and around with her four years ago, her and John. If this is the best they can do, again, pretty bumbling, pretty idiotic, pretty silly. But at the end of the day, why even bother? And that's all that needs to be said about it, I feel. Why would you want to help them? That's all. At any rate, here is my conversation with Marcus Sony. All right, today on the show, I'm going to talk to an ex-Scientologist that I met at the uh, downtown Clearwater event uh, just recently, and he just recently did an interview with uh, Aaron Smith-Levin, Marcus Sawyer. Thank you for coming on the show, Marcus. Ah, you're welcome. Where's the applause? Need the (laughs) canned applause. I don't know sound drops. Yay! (laughs) I can edit it in. 
<laughs> I did it for you. How's it going, man? <laughs> we got it. We got the we got the podcast going now. Yes, you have the distinct honor of being stowed upon you to be the first ex- uh, perfectly clear podcast that I ever do. I'm, I'm, you know, I have a face for radio. I used to work I, in radio. I'm, I'm, I'm putting a lot of faith in myself here on this one. And yes, you have a face for radio. <laughs> you do a uh, you do, you do hey. YouTube series. Yeah, sure did. Um, my face is all over that. Right, and so so you like to, if I'm not mistaken, you like to really uh, take the subject of Scientology and dissect it in your videos and really talk from a philosophical standpoint. Well, uh, I've got, I think, around 167 videos now, which is just unreal to me because a lot of them are really long. So I'm, I even wonder what, what I'm talking about in some of these videos, and maybe I should trim the fat. But most of the time... Uh, uh, it was a progression really from the first video and then feeling more comfortable talking about stuff. Um, and, and when I, when I started to like look at some of the, um, you know, it took a year for me to go through all the material online and read all the stories. Cause you take it in, at least I did. I took it in slowly because I didn't want to read it all at once and go be in shock and that can have me. I, I felt like that would happen. I, I was afraid that OT3 was going to give me uh, pneumonia. So, um, so I took all that in very slowly, and then uh, and then I find in 2014 when I started the blog, uh, uh, Man of the Year blog, uh, I was feeling rather uh, uh, <laughs> ambitious, and uh, started writing a few blog posts. Uh, and uh and and started thinking about making a video about my experience in Scientology because I've been comev which is uh Scientology's uh uh kind of like a court situation i i it's like a nazi tribunal you go and there's three people usually executives that accuse and hurl accusations at you and you just sit there and take it and you grovel and and then if you grovel enough, then you get to be back in the good graces of the church, but you end up in a shittier ethics condition. I'm sorry if that's uh, not good for radio. Is this a clean talk show? Oh, Are we running a clean show here? Ah, what the hell? Okay. Say whatever the fuck well, I'm not going to cuss just to cuss, uh, but, you know, uh, anyways, the uh, amount of shit they throw at you, you know, it, it's just another way to break you down, in other words, um, and keep you in uh and keep you uh exclusive to their their needs um and not your own so um i didn't go to the comev and uh i started to think about making the video and i did a couple of little write-ups and uh milestone one i did not long after i published the first youtube video and and i know this is a long question a long answer but like i said 167 videos um, and what I do is I compare, I take concepts from psychology and sort of try to make sense out of them, uh, in turn with the Scientology, because in Scientology, I always found that there were little snippets like bait of truth taken from somewhere else, stolen from some other great thinker. Uh, and then that was the bait for the mind to take then it replaces it with the 
fixed idea that Hubbard wants you to believe. So uh, basically the, the process of unbrainwashing, like uh, that's how I feel like it was for me. Like, and I did it on online because for me, seeing other people talk about their experiences, the videos that I watched the year prior was instrumental in me doing it for myself. And, uh, and, and so I have those people that, to thank that came before and did stuff like, uh, you know, even it might be controversial to say, but Jerry Armstrong, I read, I watched all of his videos that he did in the eighties and uh, Mike Rinder was huge. You know, um, I, I didn't even know that he left until 2012. Because oh, wow. I was still, yeah, I mean, he left in 08, but I didn't know because I was just keeping my head down and not sure whether I was going to go back to Scientology. Um, so, yeah, when I found out Mike left, uh, I think it was Travis sent me a, ma a mail and said, did you know that Mike Render left? And I was like, fuck no. And I went and looked at the website. And the way that he did it at the time that he did it was perfect for me because it still had a, a little gleam of Scientology. His, the title of his blog is something can be done about it. And that's taken from the way to happiness in Scientology shit. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And it was like, okay, I can trust him. He's not in Scientology anymore. He was like the director of special affairs, which God bless his soul. Um, uh yeah oh god i can't even imagine how, how how you know what he had to do but uh anyways yeah so it's progressed into sort of like a uh a very therapeutic method uh for me to uh express that whole experience and and hopefully people who have been involved or were thinking about getting involved can take that experience and it's there for for someone to view it's not like super awesome content because, like I said, it's, you know, the first video is two hours sitting there listening to a guy, blah, 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 blah. This is what happened to me. This is what happened to me. Da, 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 da. It's not the most cheerful content in the world. Right. Um, but it's there. It's not there for mass consumption of that nature. You know, it's there for the people who have been completely destroyed and for them to know that they're not the only ones that have gone through it. Right. That's good. So this is interesting. I want to explore this just a little bit here. Um, so you, you just described, what was it, 2013, 2014, you were in an interesting place where you were questioning Scientology and also considering, well, why the hell not go back? And you had to make that call there, right? Yeah. Yeah, I actually applied Scientology to decide whether or not I was going to stay in Scientology or leave Scientology. And I applied that formula, the doubt formula, three times in the, from 2012 to 2014. And then in 2014, I finally finished my doubt condition. And I, what I did is I just ripped it up and I said, this is bullshit. So this is utter applying, bullshit. Uh, by actively applying the doubt, um, what, what was it called? Yeah. The doubt condition. The doubt condition. Yeah. You just you discovered that it was garbage <laughs> through the process. Yes. Like, this is not working. Yes. Not even the doubt condition. I mean, uh, you know, 
the the thing about talking about some of the uh, concepts of science, a lot of people are very intrigued by, you know, all the terminology in Scientology because there is a lot of it. And and there's a lot of it in every religion. Uh, and, you know, like my, my uncle is Catholic and some of the stuff he talks about, like the Christias and the blah, 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 I'm like, well, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. But uh, Scientology has a very large glossary um, yes, of terms. I mean, it's as big as the Merriam-Webster's was in the 1800s probably, you know, like the standard edition. Not like the fancy, like only rich people can buy dictionary dictionaries, but like the common the common man's dictionary. Like it, it's about that big, um, maybe a little bigger. And, you know, there are tons of acronyms and terms, and they all mean very specific things that make sense uh, if you make sense of them, if that makes sense. Right. So you're basically convincing yourself it makes sense. So, yeah, it almost makes the concept of whatever's true for you is true gets you to convince yourself that oh no I get it because this is what it means I've decided this is what it means. Correct, correct, and and so well okay then immediately you run into a problem there uh, because whenever you apply personal integrity which is what you know to be true is true for you, you know, and uh, that is true. Uh, when you di when you say, well, pain and sex is not true. Pain and sex is an infamous reference in a uh, technical bulletin that Hubbard wrote about fail about failing uh, preclears, like preclears that were stalled on the bridge, and. Uh, and so he ordered that basically these technical bulletins were sent out to the uh, Hubbard audit, auditing, uh, what was it, HSA, Hubbard's uh, Association of Scientologists, has, Posse, Hubbard Association of uh, Scientologists International. Okay. And they would distribute these bulletins. And so, you know, anyways, pain and sex is, uh, is, is one of these whole track discoveries that he made where he found out that the whole reason for misery and all this shit in the entire universe for 76 trillion years is pain and sex and that thetans get stuck to them. And so you have to audit pain and sex, you know, like, really? and why there's so many sexual references and, in, in, um, that I've heard about through auditing and sex checks. Dude, I mean, you can you can draw the line there, can't you? I mean, pain and sex is an article. If you're on staff, it's a bulletin that you will be uh, exposed to. Because if you try to have a two D, which is a, which is a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend, whatever case, um, the missions that I worked at, okay, you know, I've talked to other people who worked at missions, and they're like, our mission was not like that, but. I've talked to people in the Sea Org, and, and it, I have more in common with them than I do with the people who worked at, like, the Los Feliz mission or the uh, Van Nuys mission or wherever. Um, even the Baton Rouge mission was run differently, but it was still the Steiners, um, and uh, it's the South. So, I don't know. There was different 
implications to running staff and having them out on the streets than there are in L.A., whereas we could be out on the street all day long like Mormons banging books, you know? Right. Um, so I kind of got off track there, but the uh, <laughs> I think the point is is that what's true for you is true for you, and whenever you don't agree with it, like pain and sex, because it's just an uh, it's just even the even some of the executives would would they wouldn't discredit the reference because they're the executives they're not they're not going to do that they're going to they're going to basically bow to LRH but um you could tell that they're like they don't or they would sometimes say well, you know I don't really get it either but that's what LRH says so it must be true um sort of which is astonishing just to get through it Mhm. Yeah, and then you know it goes into a lot of description of what happens to a being, and when you start thinking of yourself, it's such an internalizing process. Every bit of it, you know. And if you if you're, it really is sad because a lot of people who are very caring, like empathic, empathetic people or sympathetic people, people who want to help others, are really, really like diametrically magnetically opposed and they you know they attract because you give someone who has all this empathy a chance to quote help everybody and heal the world you know um they're gonna they're gonna go for it even at their own sacrifices that they make because they think it's for the greater good right right so, so could you give me just because you mentioned it earlier I'm just curious now, what is the doubt condition? How does that operate? What is the functionality of it? All right. So uh, most of my books are gone, but uh, I remember most of the conditions well enough anyway. The doubt condition, uh, and if there's any listeners that are on a computer, just uh, Google the Scientology doubt condition. You'll be able to find it uh, probably on their website, um, except it's going to be a little different. So I would maybe look for the Wikipedia version. Um, basically what it, it is is decide, deciding who uh, to side with. You know, it's like it puts you in a, in a tug of war and you have to list out uh, reasons to stay or reasons to go. Okay. Um, and, and that in itself for a personal inventory is not a bad thing to do. You could go to a psychologist and they might tell you, make a list of things that you want in your life and make a, thing, make a list of things that you don't want in your life. Absolutely. All right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're on staff, where I was on staff, and pretty much any staff, I would argue, you not only have that to contend with, it's, 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 uh, it's rigged against you because the group is meant to work as a single unit. And so when one particle, and that's a term they literally call people, um, when one particle starts to stray off, then the other particles hurtle around it and bring it back to the center. And, and, and when I say that, I'm using just sort of a metaphor as to if someone's having a, a personal problem or a family crisis and they can't uh, donate for some reason or they can't make it to volunteer uh, to do central file uh, sorting, 
um, then they can be assigned a condition, a lower condition, uh, which, you know, uh, could be doubt. And, and they'll be asked, right, point blank, us or them. And the whole staff is in on it, and even some of the public is, you know. If someone, it's, it's well known, it's rumors that happen on staff uh, as well that, uh, when you, when some, even if there's no word spoken, when when someone's in a lower condition, their general demeanor is sad on the tone scale. All right. So if you use the tone scale, Hubbard's little tone scale, and you look at someone who's in a lower condition, they'll be low on the tone scale. Right. So, um, so what does everyone else around them do? They go slightly above the tone of the person who's low-toned and try to make them feel better because the Hubbard's rule from Science of Survival is that when someone is low on the tone scale, you go one half a point to a point above it, and then you will raise him up to that level. Then once you get to that point, you do it again and again until you get the desired state of emotional awareness. And everybody who did the SOS course at Buena Ventura knew all that. That was a big, big uh, uh, push was do the science of survival and the uh, PTSSP course. So a lot of the public there did those courses, and they were also instrumental in helping keep staff on staff, telling staff, you know, you're doing a wonder, you're doing an amazing thing. You're saving the planet. I wish I could be like you. You're a hero telling you this shit. You know, you're living in a damn shit box half a mile down the road with eight people, birds screaming and sleeping, you know, uh, with no, there's like a, a, uh, porch in the back with no windows on it. People sleeping out there. Right. I slept on the balcony on insulation when we were building the Melrose mission, you know, for six months. Okay. So but you're a hero. <laughs> <laughs> so it's love bombing really to get you out of that lower condition. It, right. It seems to me, if I'm not mistaken, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that there's a lot of people in Scientology who have convinced themselves, and they may not really be happy, but they convince themselves that they're tone, what they call tone 40, right? That's like ultimate. You're, you're right. Nice. You convince yourself you're tone 40, and it's actually extremely unhealthy in my mind because you're kind of living a lie uh, within yourself. outside of. Oh, the dude. Yeah, no, I won't correct you. I will enlighten you. Tone 40 is essentially in psychology suppressing your own emotions. That's what tone 40 is. It's shut the hell up. Don't have any case on, and also no case on post, which is something that I don't hear a lot of people say. It, it, I hear everyone who was on staff mention it, but I don't think everyone, and I, that's why I like Aaron's interviews, because he stops to define the terms. Right. No case on post means... Uh, you are not to think about yourself. You are not to worry about any of your own problems. You are not to uh, 
exhibit, have any manifestations or aberrations about your own case, which means you as a person, because we're not looking at you as a person, we're looking at you as a spiritual being capable of literally anything, literally anything. You could turn into a chair, who knows? You can see air, you know? You can you can think a thought and someone calls you, you know? Um, these are all these OT potentialities that they talk about in, in the Philadelphia doctorate lectures and the Phoenix lectures and state of man Congress. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, no case on post and, uh, tone 40 are thought stopping methods. Right. And so, so that pretty much is, is basically exactly right. Um, one thing you said that I, um, I'm trying to get back to this here. You uh, talked about the people who who inspired you that came before you and spoke out. Do you feel? <clears throat> and and I I want to kind of tie this in sort of with your website and your blogs. Do do you feel like you have a responsibility to speak out, or is it just something that you? You do because you Hell yeah, I did. Hell yeah, I did. Because that's the whole reason I joined Scientology, because I felt responsible for the planet. I don't know why. I just feel I'm a, I'm a compassionate person. I, I love people. And, uh, and I hate to see people suffer, man. I've, you know, I could talk about all kind of suffering uh, that I've been through, you know, but uh, it's, it's really... Uh, you know, you can choose how you view your experience. And that is something that um, uh, is is life-changing, you know. When you can choose how to view your experience and it doesn't have to hurt you anymore. Um, life-changing experience. And um, so with the... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I completely spaced out there. You asked me a question. What was it? What was your responsibility to educate others and, and speak? Okay, out yeah, responsibility. Correct. All right. So, um, uh, I felt responsible because there were there was one guy in particular, one guy in particular that sparked it, and then after I sort of started processing that which I did with another ex-Scientologist who, uh, who was on staff with me and who was a part of that process with this person. There was a celebrity upcoming, uh, well, he actually was, he got signed to the Minnesota Twins. Uh, and, and, and we absolutely just raked him over the coals. And he was 18 years old and he had all the things going for him. He was pitching at 102 right out of high school. And uh, he got signed right out of high school. The summer after he graduated, he was in the minors and had contracts and endorsements and all kind of good stuff happening, investors. And uh, his name was Alex Merricks. And uh, that was the second video that I made 
on my YouTube channel was Scientology ruining careers because that's exactly what we did with Alex Merricks, and I felt horrible about it. And I spoke with some other people who were involved in the cycle, and uh, and and you know some of them were some of them honestly some of them were uh, didn't really give a shit, and some of them it was like I had to sort of like peek their moral compass, you know, and be like, hey, like does this thing work? Because what we did was wrong, you know. Um, there were some there were some people who were still Scientologists that I was talking to prior to 2014 about all of this before I just it took a long time in other words for me to make the to start making content making anything with a blog or a YouTube because I needed to sort of talk to some of the other people to get you don't ever get the full story when you're on staff because they they the, the particle flow is controlled in a, such a way that it creates uh, confusion. And that's part of people getting into Scientology and staying there where you keep them in a state of confusion and, and, uh, and you, you, can, you can get money out of them. If you spin them around, it's kind of like spin the, putting the tail on the donkey. I know it sounds a little weird, but you know, imagine keeping particles, for, imagine people as particles like in a uh, experiment, like a little photon, like imagine a Petri dish with a bunch of little photons and they're particles, but they're people. Right. And they're just bouncing around, bouncing around, potential energy. All right? Scientology has, and they literally call it bodies in the shop. It's a statistic. The number of, and there's a, there's a reference in the management series that says the number of bodies in the shop is directly correlated to the amount of gross income. And so, and then there's other issues on particle control. So basically you get bodies in the shop and then he, and then he'll tell you to dehumanize those bodies as particles because then you don't care if you rip them off and, and ruin their life because they're just a particle. Right. So but you're not thinking in those terms though. Like you're not consciously making that correlation. I mean, I think. It's no, you're, you really think they're particles. You really think it's energy. You really think it's energy. You know, it's, uh, it's positive. It's data, you know, as the term means positive, uh, or as Pentecostals or other religious people would say in the spirit. Um, you know, I, I find it completely a farce that, uh, that Scientologists like to, compare themselves to Buddhists. I just wanted to throw that out there. I think that's just the most ridiculous, the most ridiculous yeah. fucking thing I've ever heard any religion say in compa comparing themselves to any other religion ever. Yeah, I almost think it's almost like a comparison of convenience. You know, I don't know. Because he does borrow a few couple couple little things. He borrows from everybody, everything. And that's the problem with it is that, you know, anybody can – people still don't believe it. People still don't believe that anybody can get sucked in to Scientology. I'm here to tell you it can happen. Absolutely. It can happen. It can still happen. 
Uh, in fact, whenever the, they launched the network, me and Travis watched a little bit of it, and uh, we both had the same thought. We are like, they'll get some people off of this. They won't get a lot, but they'll get some. And, uh, I mean, they're going to get some. You know, they're going to get some. There's a law of averages, you know. You know, a law of averages. And when I say a week, I'm not saying people who fall for it a week. I just mean they're going through bad times. They're looking for answers. They'll find them. Usually, usually, usually they are in a weak spot. But let me tell you something, Padna, like my buddy Adam used to say, he was the bookstore officer. Uh, I'd love to get you to interview him. Okay. Uh, he's, he's a boat captain. He's a one-legged boat captain and wow. crane operator. He's, he's an amazing person. Cajun French. Cajun French. Oh. Uh, May talk like that. <laughs> Man, I'm going fishing. Um, so, anyways, uh, <laughs> I got to talk about I wonder about how he's going to react to that impersonation. Well, oh, he, <laughs> we talk like that to each other. Oh, do you? I'll call him. I'll call him and be like, "Man, what you doing? Man, I'm gonna manage that. I'm hungry. Me, I want some rice and gravy. I got, I got, went, got some boudin over at the market basket." Ooh, yeah, that was some good pudding. <laughs> okay. And we'll just go on and on and on until we just like, okay, that's enough. Because that's how our families talked. Our, our, our mamas and papas mostly spoke French. So okay. um, we we have that uh, heritage in common. But uh, he used to, uh, he, was in the, he was involved with the Alex Merrick cycle. Um, and he's one of the guys I talked to who was, who also feels a sense of responsibility to talk about things that have happened because uh, he actually sold, he won an award at flag for the number highest number of books sold. Yay. (laughs) Yeah. He sold, he sold more Dianetics books for the Buenaventura mission than any of the other missions in the mission network internationally. Wow, awesome hustling. He is a he was a, he he is a hustler. Not was he still is. He's a hustling. Um, yeah. So the uh, responsibility. Yeah, I mean, I just felt like the people who had done it for me, maybe, because uh, I'll be honest, like I didn't I, I didn't identify with everything they said because. It was a different organization in the 70s and the 60s and the 80s. You know, it, it changes. It, it, they rewrite the damn books. Um, but, uh, and they change, uh, you know, they, they change strategies a lot. And they change, they definitely, the org board, uh, people change jobs all the time. They call it change in posts or, uh, yeah, so... It's a it's a destabilizing, confusing, bouncy ball, pinball organization. That's what it. If you if I had to describe it, what it feels like to be in it, it's like you're in a pinball machine and you're the pinball. And when you get out of it, it's like all you want is to like be stable. All you want to do is just sit still. You know, you don't know what the hell you want to do. Right. It's like the pea under the coconut shells moving around trying to follow the pea. Yeah, I mean you're lost. You're just is that, lost. And is that a Hubbard strategy, or do you think that's a Miscavige strategy? Keep them moving around so they can't ever get comfortable in one place and figure things out. I think that's more of a Miscavige strategy. 
because, uh, but I think that he got it from Hubbard. Uh, I just think that Hubbard probably didn't employ it to the degree that, uh, that Miscavige did. But the question you ask, you could almost answer it yourself, uh, because that's exactly how he usurped the power is he just started ping pong and particles everywhere. And then at the end of the ping pong party, he ended up with the ping pong ball. I do horrible analogies. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's quite all right. It's quite all right. So, I used so- to do that with uh, people that I was working with on uh, public lines. Uh, so I never, I never got people. Uh, I mean, I did do Division Six, where you go out and you recruit people, um, and you get them signed up for uh, first service starts. But uh, after we got them in, I didn't have much to do with them. I would. Uh, like I didn't teach them anything. I was there to mine their network and get other of their friend, other their other friends involved. So sometimes I would sit down and and you know uh, the more I the more I knew about all the tech and the, and all that shit, the the more tools I had to brainwash people. Right. I mean, it sounds like you almost kind of started to figure out what you were doing consciously, but you're still trying to figure out why it was okay. Well, I mean, in my mind, it was okay because I knew that I was a spiritual being that was going that it's not gonna die, and I, I, I if I'm gonna when I do die, I'd prefer to know that I died and and be able to pick where I want to go after I'm dead and not be an unaware. See, the 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 pitch that they give you is that if you die instead of hell, um, you're just like unconscious as a being and and you don't know what's going on and you're also running into other unconscious beings who don't know what the hell's going on and you're picking up their memories and their experiences from their past lives and since they're so unaware they can only hold on to the negative ones because their energy level is so low so they're only holding on to negative experiences and as a thetan if you're at that awareness level and you and you die you drop your body you're essentially, you'd be lucky to get another body. You're essentially going to have eternal hell living in your and everyone else's bad memories. Right. Um, uh, you ever wonder why the aliens that were blown up in the volcano, their spirits, their Satan, attaches to us, but when we die, we don't attach to other people? Well, that's what I'm saying, man. Like what I extrapolated from what I read and what I heard, which wasn't the Xenu stuff. I'm talking about the factors, which is a hard read. If you're not a Scientologist, it's, it's a, it's a hard read if you are a Scientologist, (laughs) but it's the, it's the Genesis story of Scientology, uh, the factors. And basically, uh, it describes three-dimensional space and how consciousness was created, all right? It's his own personal genesis. And it's very Einsteinian, and it's, you know, it appeals to that kind of sensibility, but it is, there is no, in, ba- in fact, basis of reality for it scientifically. But you can conceptualize it, and the way that I conceptualized it was in terms of energetic beings or energy that was 
what Hubbard called theta and, uh, you know, it is consciousness, uh, and it is not conscious. It's nothing. It's it's zero, you know? Um, and so if you die and your consciousness is like, you know, like I was saying earlier, if it's not, uh, if you hadn't, uh, weren't aware that you were a being that was, that had abilities, if you forgot that you had abilities, because that's what the factors talked about, forgetting, uh, which is another really, just it's so bizarrely occultish because uh, while on one hand it's interesting because the, it starts out talking about three-dimensional space, and it does, and there are some very interesting aspects of, uh, of describing space and matter and, and stuff like that, but um, then it's then it's about forgetting what you knew, you know, like uh, the first Thetans, you know, they got bored because they were creating everything in the universe and they knew everything that they created and how it was going to end and how they were gods essentially. And so the gods decided to uh, forget that they knew they were gods so that they could experience their creation um, as new, like a child. So they forgot they were gods, but then they remembered that they forgot that they were gods. So they had to, they had to decide and, and make it so that they couldn't remember that they could remember. <laughs> this is no shit. This is like, the factors, huh? This is the factors, and this is history of man, and this is a uh, Dynetics fifty five, and and a couple of other I'm things. Like it's scattered. It's, the the information is scattered throughout all of the shit. And by this point, like I said, they've rewritten it and put shit in other places and who knows what's what anymore. But, um, and, and I think that's part of, I think part of why they do that is to discredit people who have read the material. So if they change it, they'll be like, no, that's not what the material says. It's not what it says at all. This is what it says. Could be. Um, uh, well, I mean, it would, it would, that's something that I think Hubbard would have definitely thought of. Um, he's a very meticulous. He thought of a lot. Uh, yeah, no, he was a, he was he was a maniacal, uh, schizophrenic uh, madman, genius, madman. Yeah, I mean, madman slash genius. You know, I mean, just because you're a genius doesn't mean you're a good guy. Right. I, I don't know. If you know what I mean? Genius, but creative. Maybe. Well, it, 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 let me put it to you this way. Here's my here's why I would call him a genius, and people can hate me for saying it. I could shove LRH, uh, you know, up up his own ass, because what he what he did was was horribly evil, you know. But at a certain point, he started to believe in himself, and and and, and you know, you reap what you sow. Right. And he did. He did reap what he sowed. He he died horribly. He died horribly, but uh, uh, and he lived horribly. You know, he just died and lived horribly, and, and not only that, but affected so many other people in that way. Um, the uh, but the Church of Scientology still exists today. Somehow. It didn't die with him. It didn't die with him, and it should have. 
Well, that was the ambition of one David Miscavige. You're absolutely correct. And Mr. David Miscavige, uh, well, he is a total freaking nutbag, man. You know, I, I ask people about this. I'll get your opinion real quick. You know, uh, a lot of the old guard, a lot of the people who are, uh, were in there in the 70s and 60s, uh, and unless we forget, and sometimes I think people do forget, this is a, you know, Hubbard was a man that tried to frame a woman for domestic terrorism and tried to drive her to suicide. But yeah, people say that Hubbard wasn't as active as Miscavige, actively abusive, actively... Uh, no, he was just nuts. Yeah, he wasn't actively enforcing uh, the, the BSP thing, the whole disconnection thing. But I feel like, and you can tell me what you think on this. Of course, I don't know if you, I don't think you knew Hubbard personally any better than I would. No. But he uh, he was dead before I even knew what Scientology was. It, it seems to me that because of the changing times, sure, uh, you know, uh, Miscavige might be more maniacal and a little bit more crazy, but because of the changing times and the access to to information as we have it now that Hubbard would have had to have started doing the exact same thing Miscavige is doing and enforcing things a little bit more tightly, and, and that would be the whole reason why he even wrote the policies. That's, that's what I think. <clears throat> well, that's a, that's one of those, uh, what do you call the red herrings? Um, I don't know if I'm using that term correctly. Hypothetically. Uh, no, I don't think that's what it means. A red herring. Uh, well, red herring doesn't mean hypothetical. No, uh, red herring means a, a misdirection. Yeah, yeah, because it had the, it had there not been a red herring, then David Mayo would have inherited the RTC, and David Mayo uh, left after Miscavige took usurped the church and started the Advanced Ability Organization in Santa Barbara, California, and was very successful for a number of years until David Miscavige sued the bejesus out of him for not calling it Scientology. And and also, Alter Is, which is a big sin in Scientology, where he was basically taking the things that were useful and... Go, he went to Santa Barbara and started a little deal there to help people with their trauma or whatever. Therapy. It was a therapy, but it wasn't clinical therapy. It was experimental uh, pseudoscientific therapy or holistic, if you will. Okay. And, uh, and it, it was, uh, you know, it was watered down shit, you know? Uh, I wasn't there for it, but Kat, Tom and Kathy, the mission holders that we worked for, uh, they had missions since the 60s and were staffed since the 60s. I know they, and they lived in Ojai. They have places all over the world. Um, Tom won, uh, won some award at a, uh, one of those big events in Flag one time and, uh, for opening so many missions. But... Uh, <laughs> Funny side note on him, I was in the, his office one time in ethics trouble, and he just couldn't care less. He's, like, listening to music and enjoying all the money he's ripping off everybody. And, um, and, and the dude literally had, had a uh, liver transplant every year I worked there. 
and uh, which was two years, but uh, and he had one uh, two years prior to that too. Wasn't he, he not got supposed to do that? What do you mean? Because well, he's an OT transplant, wouldn't he? Uh, I've heard so many stories of people. Well, the body thetans, I guess we're getting them. You know, the body thetans are right. all up in his liver. But I've heard so many stories of people dying because they weren't allowed to get medical attention, and they had consciousness and things of that nature. How well, a lot of times it's not that it's not allowed. It's not. A, it's not that it's not allowed. It's that the people don't get it. They don't do it. Okay, so like Tom is OT8. Tom's OT8, but he knows he's got hep C, uh, and he knows he needs livers, so he just gets livers. Okay. Uh, And God knows how. I don't want to know how, honestly, because he, I mean, I always heard of having to get on a list. A waiting list, yeah. You know. It's hard and it takes time. And it's hard because you have, they prioritize those things. Well... I remember one time on staff, it was like, you know, he was getting sick, and he got to the, what is it, jaundice, and and they had to take him in to the hospital. They're like, you need a liver. Okay. I want to say two months later, he was back with a new liver. Let me ask you this. if uh, So he takes it upon himself to go ahead and have the medical procedures, have the liver transplants. Do other Scientologists look down on him for that? Do they think less of him? Uh, he's an OT8, man. It's like so a... Kind of a, a, a little bit? Yeah, there's that vibe. It's like, you know, yeah, I'm OT8. You don't know what I'm going through kind of thing, you know? Like, I'm dealing with OT8 shit. That's God-level stuff. I mean, that's well, God. He should be able God. to fix his liver with his mind, right? Well, but the thing is, <laughs> Hubbard talks about the wall of fire in the OT levels, of OT3. And he says, once you pass through the wall of fire, you know, there's no guarantee you're going to, you know, be all right. You got to audit, you got to audit correctly, you know. And uh, so people, it's, I'll put it to you this way, as far as how it's perceived from the outside, from, from like longer standing Scientologists that understand what the OT levels are to some degree, not just like someone new who's like, ooh, OT levels, OT abilities, what's all that? Um, like they look at the upper OT levels, like OT seven and six, you know, anyway, from five to eight, you know, they're like, they're, they're, if they were Christians, they'd be praying that they get to eight before they die because, you know, they know that there can be serious health problems associated with going, you know, past the wall of fire. So does that does that fuck with them psychologically? Like, okay, I made it to this grand well, level. Well, you tell me, of course. I failed because I have the level, but I can't produce any of the effects of it. Yeah, you're going to be sitting there on the meter, holding the cans, looking for body thetans, twenty four fucking seven, man. That's what OT seven all. That's what OT seven was for Kathy. You know, she would spend eight hours on the cans. Which Kathy? Crazy, Kathy Steiner. Okay. She was the other mission holder, Tom and Kathy Steiner. Oh wow. Okay. And then one, she just finally said, "Fuck it." I, she's like, "I'm. I guess I'm OT7." She never wanted to do OT8. <laughs> He's like, "Tom's OT8." She's like, "Tom's OT8." It's all good. Uh, and there were a lot of OTs at the Ventura mission. Uh, a couple OTs at the. Uh, well, we made an OT in Melrose. 
We we made a uh, oh my god, we made an OT at Melrose. Crazy. Do they still? Do they still? Made two. Do you think they still believe, or do you think they're like, oh man, this doesn't work? But I, it's got high esteem associated. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Marcus Coloma was a guy who's an actor, uh, and and he he's a guy that me and my brother and Dominic got in, and he went all the way up, and also got his L rundowns, all three L rundowns, which by the way are all about slavery, and it's uh, and enslaving people, and it's a very bad rundown because it it. Uh, like I said, whenever you're on staff and you're in the group think, Chris Shelton talks a lot about this, and he's got a lot of really uh, cerebral information about, you know, it's very cerebral, but it's very informative. So um, uh, his catchphrase on his website, uh, entertaining, informative, or and something. But I, I agree with all three of them, well, even though I don't remember what the third one is. Yeah, critical thinking. And um, uh, he explains a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, in great, great detail. Uh, but the way I explain it is uh, is pretty simple. You know, you got you think of people as particles and you control the group as a as a group of particles, like a swarm of bees or, you know, uh, anything that is like hive minded. And uh, that's how it is on Scientology, and it's in a Scientology org or on a mission that is run like an org. And um, and so, like, all the parts of that org or mission are one, and they work as one. So you never have a single solo person doing something uh, unless it's an executive. And then executives are have a whole other level of executive briefing programming that they do just like staff do staff status one, staff status two, and then they're, uh, hatting, uh, which is pre-selected and pre-ordained by, uh, the executives. Uh, they, and the executives actually, sometimes they actually like know who's going to be good at what, you know, like my brother, Travis, he, you know, he can be social and he, but he can also be shy. So like he, he, he got into the bookstore, uh, hat. They're like, yeah, you can sell books because, you know, just even the way that he looks, that, that's, they take that into consideration, I believe. And, uh, because I talk a lot, they're like, well, you're going to be the FSMIC, you know, and also had experience working with celebrities. So the Melrose mission having celebrities on, on their lines, like the, it was, I was the only guy for the job because I worked with, Nashville celebrities and, um, and, uh, you know, can work with Hollywood celebrities, you know, I mean, in Nashville, I've met a lot of Hollywood celebrities, so. Let's get that acronym. What was it? What does that stand for? What? For the listeners of the FSMIC. Uh, field staff member in charge. And what that means is, uh, you go out, whether it's known that you're a Scientologist or not, so you can be incognito or you can be like, hey, I'm a Scientologist, and you recruit people and you scout, kind of like being a scout for a record label, for at least my position was because I was the FSMIC for uh, Celebrity Center's uh, mission and uh, also an FSM for CCINT. Um, and I was also an FSM for, uh, advanced org, which is where they do the OT levels. 
Um, and I don't know if you remember a show called Grounded for Life, but uh, I'm actually the guy that got uh, Lindsay Bartleson on her OD levels at AO, which I feel horrible about because I remember going to pack base one day and she was sitting outside crying, like holding her briefcase, just crying her eyes out. And I, and I know when I got her over there with the FSM slip that they got her for a lot of money. Shit like it's shit like that that make me feel that made me compelled to to say something or do something, you know. Uh, that's because these people were not people that I considered bad people, you know, because they were Scientologists. These were like some of these people, you know, I would have liked to have been friends with them. I was on staff, so that's not really a possibility, but, um, and that's another thing that really, uh, harms your relationships, uh, and leaves you out on your ass when you leave, because you can't form a proper relationship with anybody. So when you leave, you have no, you have nobody and you don't even know how to have a relationship with yourself anymore. You said a lot of uh, you had a lot of interesting insights you've given us here uh, through all this process. So we're kind of working backwards almost now, and I'm going to kind of use this yeah. as a segue to go back to the beginning because I think it's all connected in a way. Sure. Um, on your website, you refer to yourself as an ex-psychopath, and you suggest that all Scientologists at one point or another were psychopaths, basically. Yes, and, uh, I did say that. Traits. I'm going to go ahead and list the traits you put there. It was uncaring, emotionally shallow, irresponsible, insincere, overconfident, and carefree. And hopefully, leaving Scientology, everybody's pretty much moved on from that. Of course, we know there are some who probably still live in that mindset. Um, um, do you think that's kind of... I don't think people go into Scientology as psychopaths. They go in as people, as you mentioned earlier, that want to change the world and do some good or help themselves. Yeah. Um, so when you describe, when you talk about how you got into Scientology, um, about mm. the kind of help you were trying to get for yourself, it almost sounds like you're describing processes that are exactly what would cultivate, especially somebody who's going through something mentally, uh, those psychopathic tendencies. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, no. The poison is not the cure. Right. Right? Right. <laughs> That's a great but the, uh, I will say this, man. The, uh, they, they have these things called objective processes, and they're nothing more than stuff that people do. You know, it's just LRH had a way. He wanted to define everything and paint the entire damn world with his brush and technical dictionary. And so for me, when I, before I really started on the purification rundown, uh, I would, uh, be taken out by an auditor to walk down the street and he would point at things and ask me, do you see that? And I would look at it and I would say, yeah, I see that. And he would say, thank you. And I was like, 
you're welcome. <laughs> what are you, an idiot? Right. <laughs> and uh, and then he said, oh, I'm doing an objective process, and uh, this should help with your hallucinations. It'll help you focus your attention on single points and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, alleviate some of the some of the, the anxiety and stuff. And I was like, well, I'll give it a shot. So we walked up and down this block for about 30 minutes. And he was pointing at shit, and I'm saying, yes, I see it. Yeah, thank you. And he's saying, thank you. Do you see that? Yes, thank you. You see that? Yes, thank you. See that? Yes, thank you. You see that? Yes, thank you. You see that? Yes, thank you. Do you see that? Yes, thank you. And and then, <laughs> so the end phenomenon of this is the preclear is in is showing what they call good indicators which means like you're you've laughed or you've smiled or you have raised your tone level in any way um but i, I but I, what i'm what i'm saying is is that the looking at things uh and focusing on specific points with my eyes uh did seem to help the uh the hallucinations now, now, do you think that's because of a well thought out process to uh, the husband's <laughs> conditions, or do you think it's a bit of a coincidence? I think it's more like uh, uh, distraction therapy. I learned later, whenever I've got into some actual therapy, that uh, that's what you do with people who are having uh, schizoaffective disorders. You know, um, you you do distraction therapy. So there might have been a little bit of research done into that process, and then they just made it their own with the whole, do you see that, do you see that? I personally believe that L. Ron Hubbard uh, did do research on published things and then took what he wanted right. and put them in HCOPLs, which are HCO policy letters, and he put them in, uh, and not just like psychological and psychiatric stuff, but I, that's for sure he studied that, even though he hates them. Uh, but also government stuff, and unfortunately, some really great religious texts like the Tao Te Ching and the Art of War and the Buddha Sutras and the Dhammapada and the Bible and all these great, you know, liturgical sources that have good principles to live by. He takes them and uh, throws all that into his mind control crazy scheme. You know, that's the shame of it because. That's where people get stuck on it. That's how you get in, because there is a truth in there. There's lots of truths in there. And if you find the truth that you feel comfortable with, then you're, you may be willing to uh, abstain or abstend your, uh, yeah, uh, um, uh, be able to abstend your uh, disbelief or suspend your disbelief uh, of a particular concept or precept or whatever because of your particular uh, love or affinity for a couple of the principles you do agree with. Right. Right. Again, this goes right back to the whole uh, the greater cause, there's a greater good. Yeah. Um, I can dismiss this. Oh, yeah. People who are empathetic are just you know they're doomed because if they if they really want to help then there's a lot of bait there for them you know we look for the good in things so um and this happens in 
groupthink too, right? This happens. Uh, I talked to Chris Shelton about this a little bit. It helps. It happens in uh, school, high school, and it happens in the workplace. It happens everywhere. Where if somebody, um, if you find someone inspiring or someone, someone uh, you appreciate their work or you respect what they do, and but then you start mm-hmm. to see, and I guess it can work with celebrities, right? You start to see some questionable behavior from them. You will make every excuse for why it's not as bad as it looks. Yeah. It's a similar yeah. kind of thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because you have uh, – uh, you may not like all of it, but there are certain aspects of it that you feel are your own, that they are yours. They're part of you. And so you don't want to deny you, you know. Right. But that's that's the slippery slope with uh, with not just Scientology, but any cult is the slow – denying of self and people who have lived in abusive relationships prior to Scientology or prior to being in a cult are even more susceptible to this kind of, uh, uh, you know, unfortunate situation. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're already preconditioned to, to believe that you should deny yourself and your own feelings. Like if you're an abused person, um, you know, you're generally made to feel like you, you're not, your opinion isn't the right one. You know, others know better standards. Yeah. yeah. You're not, you're not enough. You know, you need approval. You're codependent, stuff like that. And that's what that is built on in Scientology, codependence. Everyone's codependent. All right. That's it for part one, part two on Friday. Sorry. This one was the latest. It was air last Friday, but, had technical difficulties. Uh, we, he's got a lot more great things to say and some great insight. Uh, the conversation continues also with 10 questions. And at some point in the conversation, we realize we have a ton more to cover. So there'll probably be another part in the future we'll come back and record. We have more things we want to talk about, and you'll hear about that next week. Again, if you'll want to contribute and do something, uh, write your congressman try to get the IRS to take away tax exemption, vote for politicians that won't safe point Scientology in our political system. Also, uh, anything that doesn't involve giving stats to those two fools on Twitter. Uh, so next week, back with Marcus uh, Sawyer, part two. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, that all sums it up. Stay connected. See you next week. If I speak for your followers, and I speak for your ex-followers, and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, don't listen to your mom and dad, don't talk to your mom and dad, that's bad, yep. wrong. I remember sitting there wishing I could just scream out loud and beg for help. But I knew if I did that, I would never see Mark again. This is the thing about real life. You can't experience the great things without the bad things. I felt like it would probably do better off if we didn't exist. And, um, you know, came up with a plan on, on how to end it. He talks about a seven-year-old child. Mm-hmm. Even, if, even if he's referring to actually an adult. So let's say we change that to an adult. He said the woman shudders because the man keeps her even passionately. The fact is that she shudders. You do a big apology to me and give me my kids back. I'm still shocked by the evil 
I, I, yes, even to this day. When I see a video of a former friend or family member, I'm like, this is pure evil at work. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.